Good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening, Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> As we finish our fruit of the Spirit tonight, <clears throat> and it is fruit of the Spirit, you know, God wants to work all these things, develop all these characteristics in our life, you know, Peter tells us to add to your faith, or add to your, yeah, add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, godly kindness, and so on and so forth. You know, we're, we're in the, multi, we're in the um, math business. We're to add and multiply to our, to our faith. And, uh, of course, that's, just, that's, that's the Spirit of God works in our life to bring these characteristics and qualities to pass and conform us into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So again, we'll be looking for finishing the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word tonight. I pray that we'd allow the Spirit of God to uh, encourage us and strengthen us and challenge us, Father, um, of our the condition of our relationship and fellowship with you tonight and uh, just allow you to have your will on your way and you might be glorified uh, and we might be helped. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. So we looked at these fruit, this fruit of the Spirit. Of course, love is really giving. Um, it's not getting, it's giving. It's kind of giving. Benevolence speaks of benevolence. Joy, a, a calm or cheerful uh, cheerfulness, delight, a joyful delight. Uh, we talked about peace, and there's two kinds of peace. We have peace with God. When we get saved, we're, we're reconciled. We're no longer the enemy of God, but we're, we're a child of God. And then we can have the peace of God. It's a state of mind that God gives as we walk with the Lord. And as we rest in His promises and trust in Him, He gives us a peace you know, Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Uh, long-suffering, patience, enduring of evil or insult, slowness of avenging injuries. Um, and that, of course, was the picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gentleness, a mild and kind, tender, uh, not rush, harsh, rough, harsh, or severe. And uh, speaking, the, you know, there's, there's, uh, we need to speak the truth, but we need to speak the truth in love. Uh, goodness, um, just being kind and charitable, like David was to Mephibosheth, um, the grandson of his the man who tried to kill him. And of course, faith. Faith is, of course, simply taking God at His word and acting upon it. And the Bible says, four times the just shall live by their faith." So these are, again, fruit. This is the fruit of the Spirit we're looking at. And tonight we're going to pick up with the word meekness. And we've talked about meekness some before. Uh, but weakness, meekness is a very 
misunderstood word in our English language today. And uh, I described it this way, try to describe it this way, weak to defend yourself, strong to stand for the Lord. And we have, a, I think, a very fitting example of a man who was meek most of the time. I don't know if there's anybody that's meek all the time. <laughs> but go to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. Because we have an example of the meekness of Moses, and then we have an example where Moses was not meek. And we're going to look at both those tonight. But Numbers 12, and verse 1, says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And then it says, and the Lord heard it. Now, I think we have to infer something here. That when they said this, Moses didn't reply. He didn't answer. He didn't say, now wait a minute, Aaron. Now wait a minute, Miriam. God called me at the burning bush in the backside of the desert... And he asked me to ask you to be my mouthpiece. God chose me. He could have said that, but the Bible doesn't say he said anything. So I don't think Moses said anything, but the Lord heard it. And then verse 3 says, Now the man Moses is very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And again, the next five words are, And the Lord spake suddenly. Now, Again, if you would study the life of Moses, you, you have to come to a very very uh, easy conclusion, a very strong conclusion that Moses was anything but a weak man. Uh, a man that could lead two to three million people and who would draw a line in the sand. He didn't draw a line in the sand and then keep moving the line like, like some people we know. No, he drew a line in the sand and that's where it stayed. And, it, it, and if you were on the wrong side, you died. His word meant something. So man, Moses was not a meek man at all. In fact, when, Tim, when uh, not Timothy, when uh, Stephen, in his testimony before the Pharisees in Acts chapter 7, says this of Moses, he was mighty in word and deed. So Moses was a mighty man. He was not a meek, he's not a weak man, but he was a meek man. Now, I think a good way to illustrate this is to look at what it is not. Go to chapter 20. Chapter 20. <laughs> and we have an example in Moses' life when he's not meek. In, in uh, Numbers chapter 20, in verse 10, And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. Now, they, the children of Israel, you have to understand, of course, they, they have... They have uh, complained and murmured, you don't know, ten times, times ten times, I think. But anyway, but anyway, they, they did this over and over again, you know, and, and there's, so there's no water to drink, and so they come to Moses. And, of course, bitterly complaining and so on and so forth, and, you know, wish to God we wouldn't come to this place and blah, blah, blah. You know how they did. But anyway, so God tells Moses what to do to speak to the rock. Verse 10 says, And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, that is, the children of Israel, 
Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Now, you'll never find, I don't think you'll ever find another example in the whole Bible of Moses talking to the children of Israel like this. Now, he did say, he that is on the Lord's side, you know, come over and, and join me, join the Levites. But it, that wasn't a promotion of self. But here he says, must, must we? You know, always before he would say, and the Lord will give you water, or the Lord will give you manna, or the Lord will do this, and the Lord will do that. Never did he say, we, must we give you. What's he doing? He's asserting himself. That is the opposite of meekness. See, he's, he's doing the work of God here. It's God that's going to bring water out of the rock, not him. But he has put himself in the place of God. He's asserted himself. Himself. And, and of course, you know, God being God, God's faithful, even when we deny him, Timothy tells us, God still brought water out of the rock. But it cost Moses very dearly. You see, meekness is not asserting self. Another good example is, keep your place there in numbers, we're going to be going back there, but in 1 Peter 2 and verse 23, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23, <coughs> excuse me, I'll start in verse 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So again, we see the example of Christ here. You know, <clears throat> you know, the Bible talks about the meekness of Christ. When he was reviled, he didn't revile back. He didn't, again, assert himself. Uh, when he was threatened, he didn't threaten in return. You know, he, he, he did say at one point, you know, uh, and I think that was the disciples, do you not know, I could call it, was it 12 legions of angels? Uh, but he did not threaten back. He just simply committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You see, he could take the wrongs or suffer the wrong for the glory of his Father. You know, it takes a lot of strength to suffer wrongs, to endure hardships. It takes a lot of strength. People, people may look at you as weak if you endure or suffer wrongs for the Lord's sake. But not many people will do it. You know, can you, you and I suffer wrong in a way that glorifies our Father? Or does it, what we do, discredit our testimony and not sanctify our Lord before the world? Like Moses did in Numbers chapter 20. Go back to Numbers chapter 20. I told you to stay there, or keep your place there. But Numbers 20 again, it says, And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. He said unto them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his hand, rod he smote the rock twice, 
And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and the beast also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. You see, what Moses and Aaron, it includes Aaron in this, what they did here was discredit God's testimony and they did not sanctify God, the Lord. That means they didn't set Him apart or they didn't honor Him or reverence Him or respect Him before the eyes of the children of Israel. They caused the Lord to be disrespected. That's a serious thing. And you know, sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes. It's not easy when the world pokes at you. It makes fun of you to endure it. But it glorifies the Lord. Glorifies the Lord. And meekness is having that strength to suffer wrongs, not be, not be self-assertive, but to respond or to respond in a way that glorifies God and not defends yourself. But is a defense of the God whom you serve. You know, the world knows that we Christians are supposed to be peacemakers. Now, I'm not talking about being pacifists. And that we... You know, as Americans, we don't have any rights, and, and we'd be a, a doormat and all that. But there's a, in a lot of things in life, we are to endure the antagonism of the world and not react to it like they would in a disrespectful or dishonoring manner. You know, for example, you know, even though you know, this, this whole thing, that this COVID thing and these restrictions are unconstitutional, doesn't mean we ought to act disrespectfully to our authorities. You know, this, there's riots going on in Minnesota, and I don't know about it, but I do know a, a black man was killed by police officers. And, just, and even though the investigation is not complete, what's happening? Riots. So people are reacting, even, they don't, even though they don't know all the facts, but they're violating laws and disrespecting authorities because they're angry and they want to avenge themselves. That's not meekness. And we should never have any part of that kind of thing. See, Again, meekness is, is we are not strong for self or self-assertive, but humbly seek the will of God. Psalm 119, Psalm 119, <clears throat> and verses 1 through 6, and then verse 15 says, uh, Psalm 119, verse 1 says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. 
Blessed are they that keep his testimonies that seek him with a whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways are directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. See, Moses didn't, didn't show respect before the children of Israel. When, it, when, the Bible was, when the Lord said to Moses, you didn't, you didn't sanctify me before the congregation. In other words, you didn't show me the respect that I deserve before the people. You dishonored me. Verse 15 says, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy way. So meekness is that quality where we are, we, we are not self-assertive, but we are confident and strong in the Lord and the defense of the Lord. You know, it does not mean you don't have confidence. It's just not confidence in self. It's confidence in the Lord and his will. You know, you can you as a person can have can live in confidence knowing that you are doing what's right in the sight of God. But you know, if your confidence is based on self, you're going to be easily offended. And you're going to tend to react when people say something against you. And, and, you know, this is what Moses did here in this case. He took it personal. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't an attack against Moses when they complained of not having water. It was an attack against God. Just like the Lord said to Samuel, they haven't rejected thee, they've rejected me. So Samuel, don't get upset. Don't get distraught over it. It's not you, but they don't want ruling over them. It's me. So meekness is a strength under control of the Holy Spirit and enabled by the Holy Spirit's power. Um, again, I, I think I used this illustration not a couple of weeks ago about, about a horse who has its will broken but not its spirit. In other words, it still has just as much strength as it did when it was wild. But now that strength is under control of the person with the reins. And so we need to be, we need to have all the strength that we, we, you know, what, that we do as a human being, but under the reins of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Then we also see here meekness and then temperance. Temperance. <coughs> temperance is defined in this context, Galatians chapter 5. Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Temperance, <coughs> excuse me, is defined as being a master of one's desires and passions. And it goes on and says this, especially sensual passions. So we're talking about all the desires and the passions of a human being. Now, yeah, that's quite broad. That's quite broad. Temperance cause is, covers a multitude of sins, if you will. You know, it's quite broad term. 
It's talking about the being master of one's desires and the passions. And there are many things that you and I can struggle with of our desires and passions. You know, it could be chocolate. Um, but, you know, these need to get, again, our passions and our desires need to be brought under, and it isn't self-control, it's not what we're talking about here, it's under the control of the dominion of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 4 says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Verse 13, uh, verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you... Ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And Paul uses an illustration in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 of an athlete, and this is really a good picture of bringing oneself under the control of the Holy Spirit. And he illustrates this truth uh, with an athlete where he says in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 9, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we are incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So an athlete brings himself under rigid discipline. You know, he's talking about an Olympian athlete here. And they, they, they bring themselves under rigid discipline so that they have no hindrances when they get out there and compete in whatever they're competing in. Now, Hebrews 12 says, let's lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. You know, an athlete's going to lay, you know, especially like if he's a runner, he's going to lose every excess pound he possibly can. I know even, you know, when I was in high school, I knew some of the wrestlers. And some of them would kind of starve themselves right before the weigh-in. Just so they were a pound or two under the limit. So they could be as heavy as possible for that class they were in, but yet not over. And some of them would make themselves throw up to do it, too. Oh, it was kind of disgusting, but anyway. But, you know, so they were put themselves under a discipline to just get under that weight limit. So they were, they were up this close to that and had every advantage possible. You know, and what the Bible is saying here is, God wants us to have every advantage possible in our Christian life. Nothing to hinder us. And that requires temperance. Being under the control of the Holy Spirit. Controlling our passions, our desires, the lusts that defile the mind. You know, this is a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big one today. With the way our society, our culture is. You know, it's interesting... The Bible speaks much of this. Look, go to Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. 
This is kind of challenging, especially to we preachers. What Paul does here in Acts chapter 24, you know, he's, he's uh, in Caesarea. He's before Felix. Now, Felix was uh, a slave who was freed and given citizenship and became a governor. Now, he's quite an extraordinary man, but as ruthless as can be. Um, his, his, you know, they, told, they called him, he, he, they said he was as treacherous and ruthless as a fox. But anyway... And he, he's married to Drusilla, who's a Jewess. She was the daughter of Herod. And this is, her, this is his third marriage. This is her second. She had been married to somebody else, and he persuaded her to leave for him. And she had, wasn't even divorced from him, and she's married to Felix. Get the picture? Her sister is Bernice. King Agrippa and Bernice. Uh, there was a third girl, and um, one commentator called them the, treach- the treacherous trio. Uh, it's believed, actually, that Drusilla and a child that she had, that she called Agrippa, were buried when Pompeii, the volcano of Pompeii, exploded. That kind of gives you an indication of what kind of lifestyle she lived. But anyway, so here's Felix and this Drusilla. Really great lack of temperance and righteousness. And guess what Paul preaches on? Felix asked them, asked Paul to, 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 give, to speak to him and Drusilla. And in verse 24 it says, And after certain days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. You're going to give an answer for your sin before God. You know, Paul was a very courageous man. Or you might say, and correctly say, he had the power of God and he feared no one. He walked with the Spirit. And his message was so convicting that Felix trembled. I mean, he was shaking in his boots. That's modern day translation of Felix trembled. He was afraid. And he said, you go your way. And when I have a convenient season, I'll call for thee. Of course, he also was hoping he'd get some bribe money out of it and set Paul free. But you know what? Paul was a man of temperance. He couldn't be bought. Even if it meant freedom, he wouldn't buy it. He wasn't like Felix. You see, and so temperance. And as I said, you know, this is an area that we all have struggles in. This, that your area of struggle may not be the same as mine. You know, there's a book I read, and I recommended it to to Bradley, he was asking me some books to read. You ought, to, you ought to read it sometime. It's called Meet Yourself in the Bible. Roy Lauren wrote it. And he takes Bible characters and, and, and talks about things they had to overcome or circumstances in life that created obstacles for them that could have caused their downfall, which did cause them damage. Uh, you know, Elijah was discouragement. Uh, But, you know, we all have have our weaknesses we have to struggle with. 
our passions. You know, Jesus had 12 disciples. One of them was Simon Zelotus. He was a zealot. Sort of like being a Black Lives Matter person today. He was a revolutionary. You know, just like we got people in our country who, who want to uh, overthrow or, or cause riots or things like that, that's what Simon Zelotus was. He was one of the revolutionaries who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. And he was a part of that group of people who worked underground to, to terrorize Romans and do, do harm to them. And he became one of Jesus' disciples that Jesus worked with, taught, trained, and he went out. And I can't remember where history tells us he went and gave his life, but he died for the cause of Christ. He had to overcome his passions, his desires, bring those into control or under the control of the Spirit of God. And so, you know, you know it could be, you know, our, our tongue, it could be our temper, it could be our, our lust for things, uh, it could be, uh, you know, all kinds of passions, eating, drinking, there's all kinds of things the Bible talks about in the Bible that we need to be temperate in. But again, all this needs, all these things need to be brought under the direction and the leading of the Spirit of God. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And as we yield our lives, we yield our spirit to the Spirit of God, God will begin to work these characteristics in our life. And then I want you to notice that last phrase there in verse 23. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. There's no law against them. Now, <clears throat> in Romans chapter 9 and verse 31, Romans 9, 31, it says, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness... So Israel followed after or sought to obey the law of righteousness. He says, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore or why, verse 32, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the word works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. And Romans 3.27 says that, 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 uh, you know, we don't make the law void through faith. Verse 31, Romans 3.31. We do not do them we make void the law through faith. God forbid we establish the law. You see, when we submit to the Spirit of God and the Word of God and receive Christ as our Lord and Savior through the new birth, We establish the law. In other words, what we're saying is the law is right. I'm a condemned sinner. I need somebody to pay for my sin. I need somebody to meet the righteousness of God, to, to, to meet the law standard on my behalf. And when you accept the Lord as your Savior, what you're saying is, I'm accepting Jesus to meet the law of God's standard on my behalf. 
the law still exists. It's just that now we meet the demands of the law in Christ. And then by the Spirit of God, we strive by His Spirit to obey the Spirit of the law. We're not bound by the letter of the law, because the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. In other words, you know, like Matthew 5 says, it is written, Thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, don't be angry with your brother. So we endeavor, or the Spirit of God begins to work in us, producing the fruit of the Spirit, that we might obey and keep the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. Let me try to illustrate this. Go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, avenge you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, notice this phrase, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You see, if the fruit of the Spirit is evident in your life, you're going to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. There are come to conclusion, you know what? These people aren't rebels. Even the Roman Empire after a while had to admit, you know, these Christians are really good citizens. I mean, they'll obey our laws. They'll do more than we ask. There's just one problem we have with them. They won't offer a little incense to the emperor. That's the only problem they had with them. But after a while they came to the conclusion, you know what? These are good citizens. You know, if you read about the Waldensians and, and the, you know, the, many of those who were martyred for Christ, they really couldn't say anything bad about them. Except they wouldn't submit to the Pope. And therefore, they were considered enemies of the church and state because the church was the state back then. You see, and that's what he's saying here. Uh, look at chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 12. <clears throat> well, let's, let's back up to verse 8. Finally, be ye of one mind, having compassion one another. Love as brethren. There's, there's, you know, he's describing some of the, the fruit of the Spirit here. Uh, love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil. That's be long-suffering. 
or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye thereunto that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And this is kind of a rhetorical question. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? In other words, if, you're, if you are, are producing the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law against you. There's no moral law that's going to condemn you. Now, people are going to make up things, maybe. Just like the Catholic Church did to the Waldensians and, and the Romans did to the Christians and the, and, you know, because they wouldn't sacrifice incense to them. But they really couldn't say they were immoral or wicked people. Because there was no evidence of it. Let's read on. But, and if you suffer, verse 14, for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know, that's what Moses needed to do. He needed to sanctify the Lord in the sight of the people or honor the Lord in the sight of the people, show respect to God, and it would have, it would have got the people's attention that it's God that's doing this, not Moses. You know, that's kind of where we need to be. Verse 16, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil. You know, this world is so perverted that at times, many times, they will persecute those that do good. And not those that do evil. But it'll be an embarrassment in their face. You see, that's what that's that's what the fruit of the, when it says there's no law against it. Against such there is no law. Titus chapter two. <coughs> Titus chapter two and verse uh, Six, young men, young men, listening young men, young ladies, young people, likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, and doctors showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So again, if we're allowing the Spirit of God to work in our lives and produce the fruit of the Spirit, they ought not to have anything evil to say about us. Because there is no law against the fruits, the fruit of the Spirit. But producing the fruit of the Spirit requires a crucifixion or death to self. If you notice in verse 24 of Galatians 5 it says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. So the fruit of the Spirit to be produced in our life requires that we put self 
to death. We've got to die to self. We can't let, we, I can't let Jason Byler lead me anymore. It has to be the Spirit of God through His Word. And so we have to live by the leading of the fruit of the Spirit, for it is He that will bring forth this fruit in our lives. We're not to be self-asserting or living for vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. That's pride. It's not humility. And so, the fruit of the Spirit. God God desires to produce fruit in our life. But just as anything else, He desires it. We have to be willing. We have to allow Him. We have to desire it. We have to seek it. If we're going to understand it, we have to seek it. As Proverbs says, if we want to have wisdom, we have to seek it as hid treasure. Search for it as gold. And so, if you want to be the kind of person that cannot be condemned, allow God to develop the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Because there's no law against it. Let's pray.